Hi, this is Donna Lee on Creekside Vet Clinic's Pet Chat with Dr. Crow. Dr. Crow, why don't you introduce yourself and your clinic to our listeners? Hi, this is Dr. Jan Crow from Creekside Veterinary Clinic in Goose Creek, South Carolina. We're on the outskirts of Charleston. And how long have you been in practice? Since 1984. Wow. So I would say that's quite a few years. I kind of lost count at 20 because it makes me sound old. (laughs) All right. But I don't feel old. I asked some friends to write in with their questions to ask the vet. Oh, that's me. That would be you. And I've got several. I've got some from Denise. Denise had more than one question, but we'll start off with this one. Her first question is, should you feed your dog or cat the same food all the time? Or do they need a variety, or does that upset their digestive system? Well, Denise, that's real interesting you would ask such a thing. Um, Dogs and cats are not quite like us. The food manufacturers have figured that out, and that's why they put all those funny little pretty colors and bone shapes and fish shapes in the food. Cats and dogs actually do better on a consistent diet rather than the variable diet like we have, Mm -hmm. uh, lest they end up with tummies like we have. It's actually better for the dogs and the cats, uh, puppies and kittens, to have a regular diet of the same food, same type food, and the same brand of food every day. If you need to vary that, then you need to vary that consistently. In other words, if you like to add some meat to your dog's diet, do it every day and make it the same kind of meat. By meat, I mean canned dog food. Mm -hmm. If you want to add a tablespoon of canned food to your dog's dry kibble, then do that. But do it every day. If you do it as a weekend, quote unquote, treat, uh, they will reward you with a treat of their own by having loose stool or vomiting, which is not good for them or you. The same thing goes for our kitties. Okay, so it's not like they get bored with the same old food. That's true. For the most part, there's other reasons that they've decided not to eat the food. Now, I will say with cats, a lot of times they do prefer some more variety than dogs prefer. And that's okay? As long as you go about it carefully. You don't want to change the food type. In other words, you don't want to throw in canned food where you normally feed dry. You don't want to suddenly start feeding a lot of dry food if they normally eat canned. You don't want to switch from chicken to, say, fish flavor. You need to pay attention to what their dietary needs are, how old they are. You don't want to feed a kitten senior diet, just like you don't want to feed a senior cat kitten diet, because that will definitely upset their system. To summarize, I'd say with cats, you want to use consistent variety, if that makes sense. And with dogs, be consistent. Remember that we can teach our dogs and cats what to eat, when to eat. If you let them teach us, they will. They will take advantage of that. Dogs and cats will be like us in that they may have an off day where they just don't feel like they're hungry right then. Mm-hmm. So you put their food down, and your first assumption as mom is, or dad is to think, oh, they don't like the food anymore. They're bored. So rather than picking it up, giving it back later, what we tend to do is go, oh, they're bored with the food. So we take it away. We immediately give them something else. Eventually, after an hour or two of us putting down new varieties of food, their hunger kicks in. They eat it. Oh, well, that's what they wanted. Of course, we spend the next 24 hours cleaning up after them and taking them in to see people like me, the vet, to find out why their tummy's upset. So not a good idea. 
Denise had another question. In the hot summertime, I see people with their dogs riding in the back of pickups. I know my dogs can't handle hot sand at the beach. Neither can I. So can you imagine how their pads must feel on hot metal or plastic in the back of the truck? Their pads are not made for this type of exposure, are they? That's a real, real good question. Actually, there's a syndrome that we call tenderfoot in dogs. It's the same kind of syndrome that we hear about in people. And it's where if you're not used to walking on pavement, you suddenly get to the beginning of summer and you pull your shoes off and go running across the pavement to go to the beach. Mm -hmm. um, It hurts your feet. Dogs are the same way. So, yes, a lot of people don't understand In the summertime, as the air temperature approaches 100 degrees outside Fahrenheit, the temperature of the surface of the sidewalk or asphalt can actually go anywhere from 145 to 180 degrees. And that's going to hold true. It goes even higher for the surfaces on your car. You've heard the concept of being able to fry an egg on the sidewalk? Yes. Not true. Many experiments have been done, and they've done temperature tests. The sidewalk and asphalt does not actually get quite hot enough for that. Right. But the hood of your car does. Wow. So this would seem to be equivalent, the hood of your car, the paint on your car, you have a thin sheet of metal. It's very heat conductive. That's the same as the bed of your pickup truck. So, yes, you can definitely burn your dog's feet. Dogs will often, within 10 minutes of walking on a hot surface, say the sidewalk, Mm -hmm. hot sand, they can actually incur second-degree burns on the pads of their feet within 10 minutes. Well, I bet a lot of people just don't think about that. No, they They don't. Toss the dog in the back of the truck and take off. Absolutely. And they think the dog's just all excited when actually what he's doing is trying to get off his feet and he's wow. dancing in the back, just like we do when we're on hot pavement. It's it's very sad because the pads are very specialized skin on dogs. Mm-hmm. You can protect their feet by putting booties on them. They make shoes. Um, there are several places you can go in and try shoes on your dog to make sure they fit. There are several different websites that you You can order them from right off the internet. If you already know the size, they tend to come in a small, medium, large, extra large size. They Mm -hmm. come in four or five different um, makeups so that you have varying thicknesses on the bottom for protection. They usually attach with a Velcro strap. If you need any help or advice, just talk to your veterinarian. I personally have had several calls at my practice and have seen several patients over the summer where dogs have actually had injuries incurred while they were walking on the pavement. One in particular is a Great Dane who likes to go um, skating with his dad. And his dad will put on his inline skates, Mm -hmm. hook up the dog, and they (laughs) go around the block, and they have a wonderful time. Uh, The problem came when dad went a little earlier than usual, and the pavement was just so hot. His dog, being as dogs will, they will go right along beside us without stopping. They want to be where mom and dad are, and they will not stop. They will stay right up with you even while their feet incur these second-degree burns. And unfortunately, in that case, all of the pads sloughed off of his feet on all four feet. You can imagine this is very painful. They will heal. They will regenerate. But during that healing process, they have to be kept clean 
protected, moisturize, and they also end up having to put on little booties or shoes simply to walk on cool pavement. Wow. So it's a very serious problem. Yeah. And without and give, that's a good question. Okay, without giving anybody a direct plug, would you go to your big box chain stores as far as pet supply stores? I would say you're going to have to go to a specialty pet store or one of your big box pet stores mm-hmm. in order to find those where you can go in and actually do the try-on. If you go on to any of your online, just uh, go online and put in your search engine, your favorite search engine, dog shoes, dog booties, Mm -hmm. and you will come up with multiple listings. Most of the companies that sell online will tell you how to take a tape measure Mm -hmm. and measure your dog's feet, or they will give it to you based on your dog's breed. I would tend to recommend to go with the ones that offer measurements so that you get something that's going to fit your dog the best. Here's one that I'm guilty of myself. Denise wants to know, if dogs should be allowed to hang their heads out of the window while their owner's driving? Oh, another good question from Denise. Hmm. Uh, Let me put it this way. A lot of things that I have questions on when it comes to should I let my dog do this, should I let my dog do that, uh, I would ask most people to consider if you had a small child, would you let them do that? Because to me and many of my clients, their dogs are, they're more like small children. Right. And in being like small children, if you give them an inch, they tend to take a mile. We have many horror stories of dogs sticking their face out, then their head, then their shoulders. Next comes the whole dog. It's not unusual for them to put their head out the window. Do they like that? Yes, they like it. There are many different reasons that people have hypostulated why they like to stick their head out the window. Mm -hmm. I think probably the most reasonable reason is they love the wind in their face and they love to pick up the different scents. Dogs love to sniff. They love Mm -hmm. to smell and they love to process those smells. And it's almost like a roller coaster of scent. If you're a dog and you have your head out the window, you can accomplish the same thing safely with a cracked window slightly just to where they can get their nose over and sniff the air. They will be just as happy. You will have to clean your windows, but you won't have to pick your dog up off the road. Let me just say, if you um, have ever been going down the road and seen those little nicks that are on your windshield, mm-hmm. that could get be your dog's. That could be your dog's cornea. Those tiny pebbles can come flying at your dog, not only at the speed your car is going, but at the speed they're kicked up by the car tire in front of you when they're thrown out from underneath. So double the speed you're going. You can have something coming at your dog's eye at anywhere from 40 to 100 miles an hour, depending on how fast you're going and the wind speed. And that tiny little pebble can easily take an eye out. It can cause corneal abrasions, lacerations. It can hit them anywhere in the face and cause severe damage and injury or even death. Is that why people use doggles sometimes? Yes, doggles are recommended to protect the dog's eyes from little tiny pieces. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you have a large 
projectile that's coming down uh, the side of the road. Um, I was going down the road once, and somebody tossed a tin can out of their car, and it hit the windshield and cracked my windshield. Had that been my dog's face, even with doggles? I don't think my dog would be alive today. But doggles do have their place. And if your dog is going to be in the wind, if it's going to be in the sun, and you want to protect it from that, that's a definite way to go. This is Donna Lee, and I'm accompanied by Dr. Jan Crow of Creekside Vet Clinic in Goose Creek, South Carolina, which is right outside of Charleston, South Carolina. We've got a question from Kristen. Her dog is an eight-year-old beagle and has recently started peeing in the house. I hate when that happens. I'm sure she does, too. (laughs) He's always been an only pet, and nothing around the house has changed. He does seem to be drinking more, too. This is happening with hers and her boyfriend's dog. He stays with the boyfriend. I don't get that either. (laughs) The boyfriend's dog stays with the boyfriend? I'm guessing. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess it's happening simultaneously but independently in two separate households. Hmm. Let's just take Kristen's eight-year-old beagle. This sounds like it's happening with her boyfriend's dog as well, Mm -hmm. who stays with Keith. So it sounds like they have two dogs in two households that are having the same problem, but undoubtedly uh, they occasionally share the same household. This is one of those things an eight-year-old beagle can have at... such a long list of things that can be going on. There are so many questions that would need to be asked before we could narrow down the whys and wherefores. First off, uh, is this a medical issue or is it a behavior problem? You may not have picked up on any change in the environment in the household, but perhaps the boyfriend and uh, the boyfriend's new dog could be an issue for this beagle, and that would be a form of a behavior problem. In other words, he may be trying to mark his territory and say, You know, every time that guy comes over, he smells like another dog, and I don't want another dog in my house, so I'm going to let him know this is my house, so he may be marking his territory. This is probably not as common in in neutered males as it is in intact males, but it certainly can happen in a neutered male. Just because dogs have been neutered will remove those hormones and make territorial marking less likely, but it doesn't cut it out entirely. Then there's the possibility that his dog is coming to the house. There are certain there are so many different reasons that a dog for behavioral reasons may be accidentally urinating. He can't hold his urine long enough. Once he urinates one time in the house, if he's not corrected immediately, in other words, if you're not there when it happens, that's an immediate positive to reward. Then we have a long list of things that you have to go through to try to correct this behavior. Among those is cleaning up the urine marking spots, 
with a urine odor neutralizer, which you can pick up at any pet store. It is very important to get all of that urine and the urine odor out of those spots that have been marked or where he has urinated, lest he be attracted to urinate there again and again. Quick question. Is that something that he's going to be able to smell? For instance, I might, by my own uh, sense of smell or sniffer, say, okay, I've cleaned that up. Uh, It's all good. He will smell it long beyond we can smell it. And the rule of thumb is if he's wet there three times, you need to clean it three times and let it dry each time. If he has urinated in a particular spot six times, you need to clean it and let it dry six times before you have penetrated it enough. If you have carpet with padding underneath and subflooring, it's going to take you even longer. You will have to blot the urine up, saturate it, blot everything up, saturate it, blot everything up, and then let it dry and repeat that process for however many more times that he has urinated there. In other words, to get him to stop going there and being attracted to that spot again. The uh, key thing is, is it behavioral or is it medical? There is a long list of medical things that can happen to a beagle at eight years old or any dog at eight years of age Mm -hmm. that can cause them to suddenly start urinating in the house. And that can be because they're drinking more water, because they have an adrenal gland problem. They may have diabetes. They may have a thyroid problem. They may have any number of things going on. Right. From kidney disease to liver disease to a simple infection. And all of these things can be usually discovered by a visit to your veterinarian. In a good physical exam, it probably will require urinalysis and blood work. Urinalysis can often turn up a urinary tract infection. And urinary tract infections will make him feel like he's got to urinate so bad he can't hold it as long as he's used to holding it while you're gone. So all of these things need to be checked out. And if you find suddenly that you have a well-trained dog who's breaking their training, you need to take them in and get them checked out. I like this one. Kristen's mom has a Maine Coon cat that is five years old. At the slightest sound of thunder, he hides in total fear. After the storm's over, he comes out. They know that he's scared, but what can they do to help him? Okay, this is a behavior question, and this relates to what we call it's an anxiety issue. This is one of the phobias that we commonly deal with in cats and dogs. If you have a cat who's afraid of thunderstorms, it is not unusual for them to have other noise phobias at the same time. Um, And noise phobias can be dealt with in many different ways. Um, You can teach them to not be afraid by desensitizing them to the noise and in the case of thunderstorms that would mean doing things like getting a thunderstorm tape Mm -hmm. or recording like we often use for relaxation Uh, setting that up on your stereo and with the supervision of your veterinarian who will give you a very detailed protocol of how to do this because you don't you don't want to just plug it in and crank it up because the kitty will just go and hide again until you turn that thing off. You want to replicate the noises of the thunderstorm 
starting at a low volume and gradually increasing that until they're not afraid anymore. Occasionally, we have pets that are so afraid and get so anxious that they actually require medication during those initial phases until that desensitization can occur. There are medications that can be used. That is not our first choice. Our first choice is usually behavioral approach. In other words, trying to get them to, to the overcome point, their fear. Well, trying to trying to get them to a place where they feel confident enough to not be afraid. And okay. we reinforce that in many different ways. The problem that people usually have is in trying to reassure their pet, they actually reinforce the fear. So if your cat goes and hides and you go behind it and it's hiding and it feels like it's perfectly safe in its corner in its little hole because it's gone into a cave position and it feels safe there, you go and you pull it out and go, it's okay, don't be afraid. You're actually rewarding it for being afraid. And this makes them more fearful and it makes them repeat that behavior over and over. And we actually unintentionally make them worse so i would advise before you do anything consult with your veterinarian give them a call let them know it's a behavior consult Um, they may give you medication first but most of the time they're going to counsel you and give you some handouts and some written information that will help you desensitize your cat Um, and this is very common in dogs too but it will help Mm -hmm. desensitize them so that the goal initially will be to make them feel better in the long run it's to make them not react to the thunder okay and how long does it take it takes as long as it takes that varies depending on the pet okay right so you don't go to people's house like the dog whisperer we could uh, talk about that. Okay. <laughs> usually, no, I don't. But uh, what I usually will do is work with certain trainers in the area mm-hmm. who work with pets that have aggressive fears, they have phobias, or they have any other kind of behavioral issues, I will work with trainers. And from a veterinary aspect, I will first rule out all of their medical issues. If they medically do not have any problems, then I can prescribe psychotropic drugs to help them while they're being trained and to make them actually more trainable and more alert while they're learning. And at the same time, have the trainer go into the home and make those visits with with you and with your pet in their very own environment and tailor make their training program so that the two work hand in hand. And that way, they're only on the drugs short term. And at the same time, the trainer can come and help teach you how to help them. Now we've got some questions from Jenny T. She's got a schnauzer named Pepper. And Pepper drags her butt on the carpet sometimes. Jenny's always wondered why. (laughs) The simple answer, because it itches. Uh, The more complex answer, there's a lot of things that can make your dog's butt itch. One of the most common reasons, and what we call that when they drag their bottom along the floor, we tend to call that bobsledding. And it's where they plant their bottom right on the floor, stick their back legs out. 
with their tail pointing backwards and they drag their butt along the floor with their front legs. Okay. And we call that bobsledding. You've probably seen the commercial on TV where the dog yes. actually leaves um, marks on yeah, the carpet. Toby. Not, um, not good Toby. <laughs> um, some dogs will do this. They leave no marks. There are many reasons for that. The primary one is, again, your dog's itching. The One of the most common things is anal glands. Anal glands are actually little glands that are scent glands, and they are located at, you think of their anus as a clock, and the tail is high noon when you mm-hmm. hold it up. And they have a gland at approximately 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock. And these glands produce a really foul-smelling liquid. Okay. So if you've ever smelled like something has just died in your living room right after your your dog has bobsledded across the carpet, his anal glands are way too full, and you need to get those expressed. Your veterinarian or your groomer can express those. The difference is most groomers will do an external anal gland expression mm-hmm. where they go on the outside of the anal area and with light pressure, sometimes a little more firm pressure, will express those glands and get the liquid to semi-liquid material out. Sometimes it's a semi-solid material. Get that out of those anal glands and empty them. Once they're emptied, they don't itch anymore. They're not irritated. These glands will fill up like balloons. And if they are allowed to stay that way and they're not expressed, which normally they express naturally with each bowel movement, but in our smaller dogs and sometimes in dogs with a softer stool or dogs that are overweight, they don't express. And what can happen, they will fill up like a balloon and they can actually rupture. Wow. So you want to pay attention to that if your dog is doing a lot of scooting or bobsledding, you want to take a look back there. And if it looks like he's got a lot of swelling on the lower half of the anal ring, then you need to get him in and get those anal glands expressed. At the same time, if you pick that tail up and you look and you see there's redness or a rash or there's fleas Mm -hmm. or something else that may be irritating your dog, you need to get that looked at by your veterinarian. Anything that makes your dog's rear area itch, that whole perianal area or the perennial area, anything that makes that area itch will cause them to sit down and scoot on the floor or bobsled. Bobsled. Don't let bobsled in the living room. (laughs) Ginny also wants to know about her schnauzer, Pepper. Why Pepper gets eye boogers so much. She says she cleans her eyes every day. Okay. Why does Pepper get eye boogers so much? Well, first let's uh, consider what is normal and what is abnormal discharge from the eyes for Pepper, who I understand is a schnauzer. Is that correct? This is correct. Um, Normally, any dog will have a small amount of mucus that will be visible in the morning and later in the evening. As long as that mucus is seen in the medial canthus or that middle part of the corner of the eye mm-hmm. and is a clear to whitish color, then and there's no redness or irritation around the eye, then that is considered normal. So you may have to clean that from your dog's eyes, what some people call eye boogers, 
once or twice a day, and that is perfectly normal. If it has a lot of dust from playing in the yard, it may have a slight grayish appearance to it. Mm -hmm. Um, If it has greenish or yellowish color, then that's a sign of infection. And that's something that can be caused by a bacterial conjunctivitis. That is not good. Uh, Dogs can also have a condition called KCS. Uh, Let me give you the tiny word for that, keratoconjunctivitis seca, which is actually a condition known as dry eye. And that's where they don't produce enough tears. The cornea becomes very dry and that mucus becomes very thick. That often predisposes them then to get a secondary bacterial conjunctivitis or irritation from bacteria around the eye. And they have a very thick yellowish mucus that builds up over the surface of the eye. If you see anything like that, or your dog is squinting along with that excess discharge more than twice a day, or has color to the discharge, you need to go see your veterinarian and let them look at that eye. If your dog has a scratch or ulcer on the cornea, they will produce excess mucus in the eye. So they will have an excess discharge. If they have a scratch or ulcer on the cornea, they also usually will squint that eye. So if you see squinting in addition to the excess discharge, definitely, again, take them in. Get that checked. Eyes are very, very sensitive, so you don't want to take any chances with them. And still on Pepper the Schnauzer, Pepper's got multiple issues, evidently. Pepper's a nightmare. (laughs) Pepper also has very sensitive skin. Oh, Well, that makes me think there is one other thing that can cause excess mucus in Pepper's eyes that may be linked with the skin, which is allergies. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. Uh, Jenny also says that when she leaves Pepper with a sitter for even one night, that her skin gets a rash and then she scratches and that causes sores and then that draws mosquitoes. Really? Maybe Jenny drinks heavily. I don't know. Okay, I've heard of um, sores drawing flies, but uh, not mosquitoes. Um, Maybe that's what she meant. Well, mosquitoes generally, if mosquitoes are going to be attracted, they're attracted. Um, They're not attracted any more to sores than if there are not sores. Okay. Um, It might be her pet sitter's perfume that they're attracted to because they are attracted to certain colognes and perfumes that people wear. The, The fact that... Pepper seems to have problems with dragging her butt on the carpet. She has an excess eye discharge, and she has these rashes that break out on occasion. Really leads me to believe that Pepper may have allergies, and this is something that should be pursued. This could be food allergy. It could be allergy to things in the environment. In particular, if she seems to get rashes worse when she's at the pet sitter or with the pet sitter, again, Not knowing if she's going to the pet sitter's house or the sitter's coming to her house, it could be something as simple as a cologne or perfume that Mm -hmm. she's reacting to. I have no answer to why mosquitoes would be drawn to her dog, more so one time than any other time. Mm -hmm. I have never in my life heard of such a thing. Okay. (laughs) It also may be a case of the chicken and the egg. It may be that the mosquito population has increased at that particular time yeah and because there are more mosquitoes and your dog is sensitive to those mosquito bites which a lot of dogs believe it or not are they have very reactive 
skin welts and sores and rashes develop when they get bombarded and bitten by these mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. And it's possible if you're noticing a number of mosquitoes buzzing pepper in association with the skin rash, that the skin rash may actually be due to the mosquitoes rather than the mosquitoes are due to the skin rash. Again, I think that could be a chicken and egg syndrome. Okay. Um, many of the dogs are sensitive to those, and we do have a couple of topical flea products available now that you apply on the surface of the dog that stay on the surface of the dog, and they are very, very effective at controlling or preventing, rather, uh, mosquitoes from biting your dog and from swarming your dog. Talk to your veterinarian. Uh, and would you get these from the vet? There is one product that I will not mention by name, but it is available at pet stores. Um, be very careful what you pick up over the counter and only get your veterinarian's recommendation for any of those products. There are several out there that we do not recommend. And there is one product that is only available through your veterinarian. You will not find it in a pet store. You will not find it online. Be happy to clue you in as to to the name of that if you give us a call at Creekside Veterinary Clinic. And the number is? Area code 843-824-8044. Okay. And should they ask to speak to you, you or your ask, associate doctor or one of you your You can actually ask for anyone on my staff mm -hmm. and simply ask them for the topical flea product that we carry, and we'll be happy to fill you in on all the details. Okay. And that kind of brings me to my next question. Next Saturday... The Pet Expo. Well, my staff has been very, very excited about this Pet Expo. In the past, we had, I think we did participate in one other Pet Expo. It was many years ago. Mm -hmm. Since then, the expos have not been too near where our clinic is. This year, my staff is ex extremely excited about it. We wanted to get involved and do something for the community and to help out with the people that are sponsoring the Pet Expo for Low Country Paws. Over the years, I've given them a lot of support and donation of, through time and medical expertise. And at this point, we really wanted to participate in this and help bring all the information. We think they're putting together a great package where they're going to have a lot of different exhibitors there. They're going to have a lot of different information for your pets. And they're going to have a lot of fun things going on for your pets and your families to out at the Ladson Fairgrounds. And that will be this Saturday on the 17th. 18th. Whoops, the 18th of September. It starts at 11 in the morning and runs until 4 in the afternoon. Um, if you check the Post and Courier, they have all of the events. They're having demonstrations from the rescue squad, the rescue dogs, rescue squad dogs. And you should stop by our booth because we, we would like a chance to get to know you. We'll have our entire staff there throughout the, the course of the day. You'll be able to meet myself, Dr. Jan Crow, and I believe my associate, Dr. Elizabeth Nunn, will be there for part of the day. You'll be able to meet the rest of my staff who will be on hand. We have several giveaways of product and freebies. We have lots of information for you, and we just would really like to to have a chance to get to know you and to give you a chance to get to know us. We'll be happy to answer any questions that you have about your pet or about us or anything that we can do for you. At the Pet Expo, available there 
at your booth and also currently, I believe, at the Creekside Vet Clinic, you've got a hard copy book with pictures that are examples of some air crops that you've done. Yes, I do. We do. We will. It seems like it's not something that a lot of people specialize in. Over the years, ear cropping used to be a very, very popular thing to do. And over the years, it seems to have gone not so much out of vogue, but it has become not as popular and it has become a highly specialized area of surgery. It's not just a surgery that you can go and learn like any other surgery. For example, when I was in veterinary school, we learned all different types of surgery. We learned orthopedic surgery. We learned soft tissue surgery. When it came to learning ear crops, there were only a few of us who truly had an interest that pursued the professor at college. There was only one at our university who was teaching that. And we asked him specifically, can you teach us how to do this? Because it's highly specialized. It's more of a cosmetic type surgery. It is an elective surgery. Not only do you have to have the surgical skill, but you have to have an artistic eye for it. And if you don't have the artistic eye for it, you're really probably not going to feel comfortable getting into doing the longer ear crops and show cuts on dogs such as Dobermans and Danes and the Boxers. To do a pit bull ear crop, most people would be comfortable doing that because it is a shorter cut. But again, you have to be very, very careful because you're trying to take two ears that are set wide apart and get those to look exactly alike. God's very good at it, but we're not quite as good. So it takes a lot of a lot of skill and a lot of patience. Okay, so if I have a dog and I'm shopping for a veterinarian to do that, what questions do I ask and what am I looking for? Well, I think it's important to ask their experience. It's important to ask how many types of breeds of dogs do they do? How many years have they been doing ear cropping? If your veterinarian doesn't know the difference between a show crop, a pet crop, and a short crop, a long crop, and basically what the breed standard is for each breed and the breed that specifically you have, then uh, that might not be the ideal person to go to. Uh, You also want to get more than one opinion. You know, ask the veterinarian that you see, ask some other people that you see. If you go to dog parks and go places where you see ears that are cropped and you like the way the ears are cropped, ask who did those. You may find that some were done out of state. Some maybe were done out of the country. But for those that were done locally, ask who did those ears. If you like the way the ears look, ask who did them. Okay. And is it rude for me to ask for examples or photographs? Not at all. And I think that most people these days will have a website. In fact, if you do a Google search, again, I I go back to the Internet. If you will do a Google search for ear crops in Charleston, South Carolina, veterinarians and ear crops, you probably will turn up Creekside Veterinary Clinic. And you can go to our Web page, which will link you to our Facebook page. And you can see several examples of our ear crops in the various stages from beginning to end. If you come into the clinic or stop by the clinic, and if you stop by our booth at the Pet Expo, you'll be able to see a book that we recently had done on some of our recent ear crops that we just had published. And it will show you pictures from start to finish. I do ear crops on several different breeds of dogs. 
including pit bulls, amstaffs, which are known as the American Staffordshire Bulldogs. Okay. Also schnauzers, standard schnauzers, which are much larger. I have several uh, pictures of show dogs, standard schnauzer show dogs that I have done for a particular breeder that have finished and done quite well in shows. I have an Amstaff breeder out of Atlanta who had come to me for many years to have her dog's ears done. I do Dobermans. I do Boxers. I do Great Danes. Okay, but that brings me to my next question, which is this. I was looking at photographs of one pit bull Mm -hmm. whose ears you did, which was actually some kind of a corrective surgery. Tell me about that. Uh, That particular dog had been to a clinic outside of the area, um, not in the Charleston area, and the ears were actually cropped when the owner got the puppy. And the poor guy, uh, I don't, I really don't believe a veterinarian did this ear crop. I think it was done by a non-veterinary person. Uh, the ears were two entirely different sizes. They were horribly infected. Um, the The difference in the right versus the left were just unbelievable. The ears just really looked horrific. And in order to salvage what we had left, I had to do a much shorter crop, but basically had to recrop both ears to get them to look good. And uh, he just recently came in for his first annuals. Uh, He's just over a year now, Mm -hmm. and he is gorgeous. He's awesome. His name is Honcho. He's so, Honcho, if you're out there, you and Tito know I'm talking about you. <laughs> Shout out to <laughs> Honcho and Tito. If you do a Google search on ear crops, you're bound to come across some sites that are against ear crops. They think that ear cropping is cruel, it's purely cosmetic. Basically, they think it's a cruelty issue. How would you address that charge? I would say. The same thing to anybody. You know, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. In Europe, for years, ear cropping has not been a thing that's been done. And for people who like the way that dogs look with a cropped ear, and in the States, in the United States of America, this has been a breed standard for years. Yes, we are tending to have more people go towards non-cropped ears, but as long as we have people who want cropped ears, it's a simple cosmetic surgery. And to me, it is no more cruel than spaying your dog or doing any other surgery on your dog. It is a surgery. It's done under anesthesia. It's done by professional veterinarians, and it's done with pain management. Now, if you're talking taking a litter of puppies to someone in the back of a truck, just say at a pet show. At some random place. At at some places have been known they have these fly-by-night characters that drive around with a box of drugs, and they will do six or seven puppies in a litter when the puppies are very young using injectable anesthetics and just basically slice and go. And those are the ones that have numerous complications. They don't have any concern for the puppy or pain management or anything else. The puppies that we see are done as any other surgery. 
and I feel the same way about that as any other cosmetic surgery, especially here in the United States. People have more cosmetic surgery here, to my knowledge, than anywhere else in the world. But cosmetic surgeries that are done on people in the United States are no different than having that done on your dog. People are getting their facelifts. They're getting their eyes tacked. They're getting their Botox. Mm -hmm. Why not have your dog's ears cropped? This is just our first podcast in this series, and we hope to make this a regular thing. And we're going to have a link from your website how people can download the podcast. And the website is CreeksideVetClinic.com. And the Facebook page is Facebook.com slash CreeksideVetClinic. That's us.